This is the Cancer Radio Network. Coming up on this episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. You always have to follow the ABC rule, which is always be courteous. It doesn't help. Being nasty will absolutely get you nowhere. People say, well, I have to be nasty. They won't listen. Oh, no, no, no. Because I work with physicians and nurses and nasty patients are the people they avoid. Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, offering stories of information, inspiration, and hope to those affected by colorectal cancer. I'm Lynn Silverstein. Welcome to Episode 78 of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And we are coming up, we're just a couple of weeks shy of Tomorrow Can't Wait, the annual colon cancer conference taking place in Cleveland, Ohio. I will be there, my wife will be there, and we will be podcasting from the event. This will be a great way for you to stay connected to what's taking place at the conference, especially if you are not able to attend. So the best way to do that is to subscribe to this podcast, and this way you won't have to go searching for new episodes. They will just automatically appear in your podcast feed, whether that be Apple Podcasts or however you consume your podcasts. Easiest way to subscribe to the show is go to thecoloncancerpodcast.com forward slash subscribe, and that will ensure you never miss another episode. And while you're there, if you've been a fan of the show, uh, we would love it and appreciate it if you could leave us a review for Apple Podcasts. When you open up the show, just scroll down to the bottom, whether that be on your native podcast app, whichever one you use, you should be able to find there, uh, rate and review the show. And we would really appreciate it, especially if it was a five-star review. Events taking place, we've got three more undie runs taking place to round out 2017. Hard to believe we're talking about the end of the year, but it is going to be here before we know it. That next undie stop will be Saturday, October the 28th in Atlanta, Georgia. The following week on the 4th, we'll be out in Phoenix. I know Phoenix always gets an amazing turnout. Kim Newcomer and the whole team from the Phoenix chapter, Arizona chapter, I know will be out there. Thank you in advance for all your support. And then the last stop will be on Saturday, November the 11th in Dallas, Texas. Check us out and find more information about these events on the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org. If you have an ostomy or are undergoing chemotherapy, you know at times it can be a struggle to stay hydrated. That's where H2ORS can help. H2ORS is an oral rehydration solution, which is an over-the-counter electrolyte drink mix for dehydration. H2ORS is a medically accepted alternative to IV hydration. So for those of you who are struggling to stay hydrated due to an ostomy or chemotherapy, H2ORS can help replenish your fluid and electrolyte levels. It has three times the electrolytes of most sports drinks without the excess sugar, artificial flavors, or artificial colors. If you would like to try a free sample of H2ORS, go to 
h2ors.com slash sample and they'll ship one out to you. No strings or hidden costs attached. Also, when you make your first purchase at h2ors.com, if you use the code CCPOD, you will get 10% off your first order. Our guest this week is Eddie Lee. Eddie is the founder and director of the Center for Healthcare Communication. He focuses on helping healthcare professionals communicate with patients and helping patients communicate with professionals. He has a master's degree in health education from Kent State University, and he recently completed the soon-to-be-published book, Engaging Your Patients. Eddie's appeared on the Today Show, MSNBC News, the Discovery Health Channel, and the Oprah Winfrey Network. He's also been interviewed by Montel Williams and Katie Couric, and now we can add Lee Silverstein to that list. Join me now for my interesting and informative conversation with Eddie Lee. Eddie, thanks so much for joining us on the Colon Cancer Podcast. How are you this evening? Oh, I'm, I'm wonderful. How about you, Lee? Doing great. Uh, before we get into your background, the first thing I want to ask you is, uh, you're a 20-year survivor. Congratulations. How's your health? Yes. Thank you. How's your health? Oh, well, how's my health? Oh, I missed that. Yes, I'm I'm doing fine now. Uh, everything. Now, the, the only little thing not related, I've had borderline blood pressure a few years. For the first time in my life, I actually have to take a daily medication for hypertension, which is keeping me completely normal. And I did all the right things, low-sodium diet, exercise, did all the right things, and but genetics was not on my side. Well, you know. And I know. But besides that, completely well. Great, great, and and I want to emphasize uh, for our listeners because we have a lot of colorectal cancer patients and survivors that follow the show. Twenty plus years. Do I have that right? Yes. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your story. I'm curious to know how you got interested in the topic of communication in healthcare uh, and, and ultimately uh, starting your own uh, company, Healthcare Communication. Well, it all started in early 1997. I, I uh, and keep in mind my background is in healthcare. I have a master's degree in health education. Worked in practices and hospitals, so I was a healthcare professional. And also, I worked as a speaker trainer in healthcare organizations. So in early 97, I started having some. GI issues, some extra trips to the bathroom, something just wasn't quite right. So I went to talk to my family doctor. First, he didn't think it was anything significant. And I said, no, I think something's going on here. So he did a test called a sigmoidoscopy, and it came out completely normal. I thought I was fine, but I wasn't fine. And then the GI symptoms continued to get worse, get worse. And then I started having some rectal bleeding, and the summer of 1998, a year and a half later, because of a significant bleeding episode, I went to the emergency department. They decided to admit me. And the physician noticed my liver enzymes were elevated. And she assumed that was because I had addiction issues, which I did not have addiction issues. And she said, to be honest, you have to admit it. The first step is admitting it. I said, no, I don't have a, I don't like this. I don't even drink. I'm not about to use drugs. The hardest drug I've ever used was aspirin. So, uh, and then, and then she said, uh, then she released me after a day. And it turns out the liver enzymes were actually related to uh, food poisoning and they didn't do anything about the bleeding. 
So I'm continu continuing not doing too well, but still I'm functioning. I'm out there speaking, out there working with healthcare organizations. And then in 99, we switched insurance companies because we just wanted another plan, which meant a new set of healthcare professionals. So in August 99, suddenly I had excruciating abdominal pain. I went, called my new doctor. He noticed that I was anemic. Then he ordered a colonoscopy, and, he, and I said to him, I think I had that test done. He said, no, according to your records, you had a sigmoidoscopy. And I'll explain in a minute the big difference. Then I had the test, and we thought, okay, uh, you know, anemia, abdominal issues, probably a bleeding ulcer. So I walked in thinking I had a bleeding ulcer, but that's not what I walked out with. So I'm waking up from the colonoscopy, and uh, the doctor said, can you hear me? And I said, yeah. And he says, I'm sorry to tell you, we found a tumor. I said, uh, what? You, we found a tumor, and we took a sample for a biopsy. We'll get the results soon. But we know you have colon cancer, and you have to have surgery immediately. And, I mean, I, I was just I was completely startled. There's no family history of colon cancer. Uh, we've had other types of cancers, but they tend to be blood-related, leukemia, lymphomas, multiple myelomas, but no colon cancer. I was the first and I was also young. So now I'll explain why it took two and a half years for me to be diagnosed. The sigmoidoscopy, my first physician never explained it to me. He never told me the sigmoidoscopy is a partial exam. It actually only sees a third of the colon. The colonoscopy sees the entire colon. The sigmoidoscopy only sees the left part of the colon. It misses the middle, the transverse, and it misses the right. My tumor was way over on the right near the junction of the small intestine and the large intestine. By the way, just as a reminder, the large intestine is also called the colon. They're synonymous. So it was way over, way out of reach of the sigmoidoscope. And I always tell people having a sigmoidoscopy instead of a colonoscopy is like having half a mammogram. And the, the people... Now, the thing is, this was in the mid-1990s, 97, 98. This was before Google. I don't think this would have happened today because I would have immediately gone, did a little <laughs> typing and said, of oh, course. my God, I'm not getting a – but this was before Google. This was It was more challenging to get information, and there was no colon cancer awareness events at the time. Uh, there was no colon cancer uh, awareness month. That didn't begin until March 2000, so there's I'm not seeing any awareness events. I don't have online access. And so I just thought I was fine. And the reason I became interested in the topic of communication, because the reason I was misdiagnosed two and a half years is because my doctor never communicated with me that I was getting a partial exam. And that's how I became interested in the topic. And by the time I was diagnosed, I had surgery, and then they discovered the cancer had spread to the lymph node. So I was diagnosed as stage three. And after I had... The surgery, they let me rest for a month. I started chemotherapy. And when I was diagnosed, there was only one drug, one drug for people with colorectal cancer. A few months after I was diagnosed, a new drug was approved for stage four, and they gave it to me for stage three. Uh, they used the term off-label. And I finished chemotherapy in August of 99, no, August of 2000, and have been cancer-free ever since. And the reason... Uh, I say, uh, so when you add up the numbers, you say, wait a minute, that's 18 years. You said 20 years. My symptoms started in September, uh, January of 97, so it actually is 20 years since I had colon cancer. Because I had colon cancer in early 97. It just wasn't diagnosed yet. Right, right. I got gotcha. you. And so then, just to tell you very briefly, 
uh, I became interested in the topic of communication skills. Now, keep in mind, walking into uh, the healthcare environment, I already this is an environment I already knew. I worked in healthcare, so I noticed that people were using jargon all the time. I understood well everything they said when they said, you know, uh, CBC and other terms. I knew exactly what they meant. I thought if I wasn't in healthcare, I'd be in big trouble. I remember a radiologist did a scan, and he just came in the room. and He says, "You're unremarkable," and I was thinking, "Oh, that's good. That's good." I thought, "Wait, so were you, buddy? What if, I did, <laughs> what if I didn't know unremarkable meant that there's nothing there? I would have thought maybe just thinks I'm boring." <laughs> and so, and then I'd be, there was jargon issues, and I said, "People were nice, but empathy wasn't there." And then education was really weak, really weak, and I thought. I, I need to do something about this. But keep in mind, in the early 2000s, people weren't excited about patient experience, patient satisfaction. That, that didn't come, become hot till a decade later. So I was out there doing my uh, typical programs, which was primarily uh, leadership and employee engagement. And I started doing these other programs, but there wasn't a lot of excitement about it until about 2000 when patient satisfaction scores started tying into reimbursement. Oh, my God, now we've got to suddenly care about what the patients think. <laughs> you need to come in. We're, it's, we're, we're getting reimbursed for this. So what do we do here? So now I'm doing many more of those kinds of programs than I did before. And so now I uh, work with healthcare professionals to improve both patient satisfaction and safety. Because remember, the number one cause of medical errors is it's not technical problems. It's communication problems. The number one cause of medical errors is miscommunication between healthcare professionals. Now, there is some miscommunication with patients, but the bulk of it is professionals talking to professionals. That's where most of the errors occur, and that's where I, I do a lot of work. And I also do a lot of work in helping professionals communicate with their patients. And also, and I'm excited to be at the uh, Colon Cancer Alliance 2017 conference. Will you be there? I will be there, and we will be doing podcasts from there. So looking forward to getting Excellent. to Excellent. Yes, you. so I'm doing a communication skills program there, and I'm very excited so uh, that's actually my uh, very long-winded explanation as to uh, how I got to this point. Well, you brought something up that I'm not sure everybody's aware of, and that is the fact that patient satisfaction scores directly impact uh, the reimbursements to to hospitals, medical facilities. Correct? Yes, and that's, this that's is true. this is the reason why, in case patients are curious, why you're getting surveyed to death why you're getting follow-up phone calls or you can't even walk out the door. Yes. They hand you uh, at the Moffitt Cancer Center where I get my treatment, treatment here in Tampa, Florida. Uh, now they hand you an iPad when you're done and ha you know rate the doctor and all these kinds of things. So yes. this, is the re this is the reason, right? Right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, also that it, the change in healthcare that occurred in 2010, because before 2010, healthcare was all about uh, you got reimbursed for the number of procedures. You got reimbursed for the number of tests. You got reimbursed for the number of surgeries. Quality didn't matter. It didn't matter how the patient did or how many infections people got. That Quality didn't matter at all. The only thing that mattered was quantity. But now we've changed to what's known as a, a, a values-based purchasing where the focus is on, it's on value, it's on quality. So a piece of reimbursement is based on quality, how the patients actually did which is a different model prior to 2010. So, and one of those quality factors is patient satisfaction. And actually, they've also found people, some people would say, well, what does patient satisfaction have to do with clinical outcomes? Well, patient satisfaction actually correlates with clinical outcomes. 
So the better the satisfaction, better patients do. Interesting. So you had an experience where communication was lacking uh, yes. as a patient, and you saw an opportunity to take on this challenge and educate the medical professional through your organization, the Center for Healthcare Communications. So uh, that's why I was so excited to get you on the show, because clearly, if you can teach medical professionals how to communicate with their patients, we, you can reverse engineer this process and teach us patients how to communicate with our doctors. Because actually, it's a very similar process. So let's, let's, talk, very similar process. let's talk about that. Uh, first off, not only uh, my question is two-part. How should we prepare for a visit to a doctor? But before that, why is it so important? Well, uh, first of all, uh, the, prep- recommend- the preparation I'm, I'm referring to. Yeah, one thing in terms of preparation, I recommend everyone has what's known as a medical resume. We have an employment resume that says all the places we worked, our education, our experience, our goals. We need to have a medical resume. And what a medical resume is, it uh, it lists, of course, it has your name and your contact information, and, and, and there's a section that has your insurance information, and there's also a section that has what your allergies are, what medications are your list of physicians, major surgeries, and mine is two pages. So if I'm at one hospital and I go to another hospital that where they're not connected, they're in different systems, I could say, here's everything you need to know. And when I produced my medical resume, they said, oh my gosh, we wish every patient had this. You've got everything we need here. And it dramatically drops the risk of miscommunication. Because remember, most communication errors occur when professionals talk to professionals. So I provided all there and they could just see it and it's all written out. So I recommend everyone have a medical resume so that no matter where you go, you could pop out these two pages. I have it as a file. I've emailed it to people. I faxed it to people. So everyone needs a medical resume. Do they do so, they still make you fill out the darn forms? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, they still I still fill them out. And the nice thing is sometimes I just look at the resume and, okay, this is the medication. And this is because they said sometimes people come in and they say, well, what medications are you on? Uh, um, and I've talked to patients when I've done, because, you know, I've been, you know, in the hospitals, I talk to patients, what medication? Well, I take a, take a white pill for my sugar, <laughs> take a green pill. I think it's for my heart. That's not very helpful. Right. So it's easier. I always recommend to healthcare professionals, ask patients to bring in the bottles. So you, you get it right. But as when, when I, because I wear a healthcare hat and I have a patient hat. So when you're wearing your patient hat, you want to have this medical resume. And so that's, a, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is do some research. So when you come in, you are at least somewhat educated on whatever you know, issue you're experiencing. It could be uh, re- directly related to your cancer. It could be a side effect of the chemo. So do some research so you have some basic uh, understanding of whatever the issue is. And then what I always did is I took out a sheet of paper and I wrote down my questions and then I left space so I could write the answer down. And another question left space so I could write the answer down. And it's also, it's hard to write, you know, you're, unless there's a desk there, I always bring a clipboard, clipboard and a pen so I could easily, you know, write everything down. And also what I did is it's actually something that I teach healthcare professionals. It's something called teach back is uh, if you've explained to a patient a lot of detailed information, ask them to repeat it back to make sure that it's understood. 
And most healthcare professionals don't do that, even though I'm really pushing for it now. So we could do teach back ourselves. So after I get my explanation, I read back, okay, let me, uh, let me make sure I understand this. I understand that um, I need to do this and this. And then after that, this happens and I should call you if I'm experiencing this and this. Did I get that right? And once they say yes, then I move on to the next question. So I always verify you know, the information. And it's something that I teach healthcare professionals. Don't just say to their professional patients, blood pressure, blah, blah, blah. Now, after, and then they say, okay, no, not okay. The other person repeats it back. You say, okay, and then you're done. So that's why it's called a closed loop. You want a closed loop. So do that with uh, every single every single time just to make sure that all your questions are answered. So there's preparation, learning about whatever medical issue, writing down your questions with space, and then repeating back the answer to make sure you've got it. And the chances of any issues happening are dramatically lowered because you're both on the same page. Do you recommend, Eddie, when you're talking about a, a really serious visit like uh, something related to cancer as opposed to going to your doctor because you've got uh, an ear infection, do you recommend, if possible, to bring somebody with you? Oh, yes, yes. That's a great point. Uh, if it's uh, more of a routine chemo side effect kind of thing, and I'm not actually having chemo that day and I'm lucid, <laughs> then it's okay. But my wife would come with me sometimes. My, mo my mom would come with me, sometimes another relative, especially if it was something in the beginning when I was getting all one piece of bad news after the other. And so someone would come with me because I knew I wasn't hearing things. I knew I wasn't uh, hearing things, and so my wife would be there just to make sure, you know, I'm hearing everything correctly. Because here I'm thinking I had a bleeding ulcer, and then I have this colon cancer, and we were all stunned. We were all stunned, and so I always had a relative come with me, uh, especially when I was getting chemo, because then I had the chemo brain thing, and I wasn't hearing correctly anyway. But for follow-up visits, when I was lucid and not on chemo, and I knew it was follow-up, uh, then uh, oftentimes I went on my own. It all uh, depended on the circumstances. But I highly recommend in the beginning or for significant issues where you're fearful of the news, always have a, a relative with you or for a good friend too. Good advice. Uh, I have talked to little, literally hundreds of people uh, like myself who've been touched by, by cancer. And I've seen the gamut. I've seen people like yourself who initially had their symptoms ignored and they immediately told me in, in our interview. So I fired my doctor and I'm on my third or on my fourth because they just weren't meeting my needs. And then I've seen the other end of the spectrum where, and I think this is more of a society thing where we all grew up deferential to people in the medical professional and respect and, oh, yes. and, and follow, you know, just blindly following. Uh, so you run the, the, run the gamut and it's been my experience. And I'm curious to know if you see the same thing that you're more outspoken, you're more extroverted, more assertive people don't hesitate to ask questions and, and challenge and say, you know, you're not meeting my needs. I'm going to go to somebody else, but that's not everybody. So, for those folks who are a bit more introverted, who aren't that comfortable in that environment, uh, how do you recommend they, they, they address their healthcare professional and, and ensure that they're getting their needs met? Yeah, yeah the, yes, actually those are all great questions. And the one thing when I look back at the experience and people have said to me, um, didn't you think something would be 
something might be going on that's significant. And and I'm, once again, I'm not saying I'm blaming myself for what happened. Is you know here I have a master's degree in health education and, and the wellness, exercised, ate the right food. And when these things were happening, in my mind, nothing bad is going to happen to me. I'm young. I have no significant medical issues, never had any surgery, was never hospitalized. Nothing bad will ever happen to me. So it's not that I was thinking, I think something's wrong with me. I just thought nothing bad will ever happen to me. So what I tell people is that uh, you have to consider that it's actually when people have GI issues, it's actually unlikely that they have colon cancer. It's most likely a non-cancer situation, but it could be colon cancer. It could be serious. So uh, rather than thinking, oh, I'm young, I take care of myself, I eat a healthy diet, I exercise. Now when I look back at it, I should have thought, when I'm, you know, hindsight is 2020, I should have thought, you know, maybe there's something serious. But it, And also people are in a much different place now. They have Google. They could Google their symptoms. There's Colon Cancer Awareness Month. There's the Colon Cancer Alliance. Uh, there's posters about colon cancer. So it's a much different situation. And I think people are much uh, more likely to think that something could be happening. And also, uh, some things I you know recommend. I always tell people when they're worried, when they contact me, you know, I've been having these GI issues. You know, I'm concerned about this, concerned about that. And I always tell them, the first thing I tell them, that if you look at the literature, when someone has GI issues, uh, cancer is actually less likely. It's It's actually less likely, but it's a possibility. So I tell them that it's less likely that you're going to have cancer, but, and then they say, well, I don't want to know. I said, it's better to know because the, the earlier you go, you know, the the sooner you could catch things. Well, the colonoscopy is painful. I said, no, no, I've, I've had several. They're not painful. The prep sometimes, you know, you have to go to the bathroom a lot, but that's not too bad. And then you have the colonoscopy and then you, you doze off. So the test isn't painful is not at all oh really i thought it was really painful no so there's a lot of misconceptions about it and so i, I told them it's and i said if don't well i don't i still don't think i want to go i said don't go for you go for your family so if i talk to people with like young children i said don't go for you go for your children and then i said oh you know maybe i should go then right but for those make them feel a little guilty. sure <laughs> guilt always works for those folks that just aren't wired to speak up, to to challenge, to question an a quote unquote authority figure like a doctor, but they know deep inside that maybe they should. What what advice do you give folks like that? Uh, you know who aren't that comfortable. What I always recommend, and I still do this if I know I have to. Um, like we're having an issue with our car and we've had to deal with the car dealership. So with anything, I first uh, open up uh, Word, I'll open up a blank word, and I write, I brainstorm. What am I going to say to this person? So I, I start typing what I'm going to say, and I say, and then I look at it, and I think, hmm, I probably should say this first and then this. Okay, and I retype it. And then I'll ask my wife, Beth, I says, what do you think of this? Okay, I think you really need, you probably should ask about this. So then I redo it. And then over the course of a day or two, I have it down. So when I go in there, I'm already prepared what to say. 
I'm already prepared. And then I do also some play devil's advocate. Well, what if he says this? What if she says that? How am I, how am I going to respond to this? How am I going to respond to that? And so I find when you write it out, write your thoughts out, think them through carefully, and also take the emotional factor out. Remember, just we're dealing with facts. Just dealing with facts, not the emotional part. And if you experience resistance, how are you going to handle that? So you do the devil's advocate. So by the time I'm ready to talk to a healthcare professional about a medical situation, I've already got everything down. I'm prepared what to say. I'm prepared for any comebacks. They come, oh, don't worry about that. Oh, I should be worried about that because. So I think having it written down makes you feel comfortable with it, makes you feel like you're uh, ready to you know, go with it. So I always recommend writing it down, rehearsing it, but not, you don't want to sound like you're just reading it off. Like I'm thinking I have a problem with my intestine and this is what, you know, so it has to sound natural, but you want to have your thoughts prepared. And then what if you feel like you're not getting the care that you need? What if you feel like uh, you're not being heard or you don't know that you're really getting the best advice? Either you're, you feel like uh, you're being minimized or again, we've seen the the pendulum go the other way, where doctors have told patients, "Oh, the, you know, you've only got six months," and uh, and quote, they told me that five years ago. So, in that scenario, what advice do you have? Yeah, actually, there's a, one thing I just want to back up and mention. You uh, brought up a wonderful point. Let's say, for example, you feel you should have a certain test or you feel you should have a certain treatment. And keep in mind, once again, now I'm wearing my healthcare hat. You know, healthcare people, we're, we're very science-oriented, evidence-based. So if someone goes in and said, well, my nephew read an article and said, everybody should have this test done. That doesn't go over. But if you say, here's an article from the XYZ Oncology Journal that was recently published, and research has found that the following test is helpful in determining or diagnosing, and then you bring a copy of it with you, that will have a lot of meaning. <laughs> that will have a lot of significance. Rather than say, oh, my, then my nephew told me I should have it. So once you show that, because you know we're healthcare people, we're science-oriented, evidence-based, and if you bring us science-oriented, evidence-based information, our ears perk up. So that's where I'm, you know, wearing my science hat. Now people often ask me, like you, you know, what if you're, you feel your needs aren't met, or you feel that people aren't uh, listening to you? There's a couple different options to go here. Now, uh, and then again, it depends if we're working in a medical practice or a hospital. Now, if you feel that you say it's a, they were say they're dealing with a medical practice first, and you feel that your physician is not listening to what you're saying. And so one of the things you could do is talk directly to your physician. And once again, write out what your concerns are, write out uh, that I, you know, I mentioned this test and I have evidence-based information that I, this test would be a good fit and you didn't feel comfortable having me undergo the test and I want to learn more about the reasons because you always have to follow the ABC rule, which is always be courteous. It doesn't help. Being nasty will absolutely get you nowhere. People say, well, I have to be nasty. They won't listen. Oh, no, no, no. Because I work with physicians and nurses and nasty patients are the people they avoid. 
So create a good uh, relationship. One, one thing I found a good relationship is you want to, you know, thank them. I always thank all my, when I was, uh, I, I always thank them all the time. And when it came around the December holidays, I would bring them uh, pizza and I would bring them healthy snacks like a fruit salad. So I, I knew how to establish a good relationship. So it was unlikely that I had a bad relationship because they love my pizza and they love my fruit baskets. And now the thing is, and then some people say, well, I don't feel comfortable talking directly to him or her. I just, I just feel I would be confronting. And so if you're dealing with a practice situation, I recommend talking to the practice manager, calling the practice manager and saying, you know, I've been seeing one of your physicians and I'm uncomfortable with this and this. And how do you recommend I proceed? Uh, you, could you talk to him or her? Yeah, uh, you know. And then also you have to think, what is the issue? Is it a clinical issue? Do you feel that you're not getting the best clinical care? Or is it a communication issue where they feel they're not listening to you? So you have to see what the issue is. And also people say, well, what if I want to leave? So you don't have to uh, tell them I'm leaving and uh, but I always recommend explaining why you're leaving the practice. Uh, you could tell the physician directly. You could tell the practice manager. And But first, I recommend trying to work through it and then leaving some explanation so the next patient doesn't experience what you experience. Now, if you're dealing with a hospital situation, then there's different people. So if you don't feel comfortable talking directly to the physician, which a lot of people don't, there's two places you could go to depending on what the hospital has. Some hospitals have what's known as an ombudsman's office where you could voice your concerns. You know, I've been talking to this physician. I presented evidence-based information and they still don't want to order the test for me, but the evidence proves that this would be helpful. Another group you could go to is the patient advocacy office. Some places have advocacy office and they don't have ombudsman. Some places have ombudsman, they don't have advocacy. So you call the patient advocate. You know, I you know, he's, he's not listening to me. I say these things and he's not listening to me. How do you think I could proceed? And then the advocate will call the physician and try to resolve the issue. And so the, the, that's the, you know, the, the different, you know, options. But the, what I recommend is prevention. You want to establish a great relationship. You know, ABC rule, always be courteous and friendly. And it works both ways. It works both ways. And also, I was like, now people always say you're bribing. I said, no, I'm not bribing. I just, you know, if someone's nice, I, you know, bring pizza, you know, I bring fruit baskets, but I'm not bribing. I'm, I'm establishing a relationship with them and I want to establish a good relationship with them. So people like gifts. And so with my oncologist every year at Christmas time, I, uh, I not only had the pizza, but I always gave her a little gift. You know, nothing too extravagant, but sure. just I knew what she liked and I gave her a little gift. And once again, it wasn't a bribe. It was to show appreciation for her, her wonderful work. Look, at the end of the day, they're people too, right? Right, right. And they tell me, I work with nurses, physicians all the time, and they tell me they don't like mean, angry patients. So if you're pleasant and if you immediately establish good rapport, that will lessen uh, the likelihood of conflict. Makes a lot of sense. Eddie, this has been terrific. This has been really helpful, and uh, you've you've left the left our listeners with a lot of helpful advice. So I, I really oh, I really appreciate that. Any any final words uh, to uh, to to wrap up uh, to set people on their on their new path to better communication with their healthcare professionals? Yes, I think the key word is always uh, preparation. 
you know, no, uh, have a, you don't have to get a PhD in, you know, whatever uh, issue, but just a basic understanding of a new medication, a new treatment, just a basic understanding, prepare your questions. And once you see the professional, follow the ABC rule of always being courteous uh, because uh, that helps establish a good relationship. And in addition to preparation, prevention, and the prevention part is immediately be friendly and warm and kind. And there's a much greater chance you'll have a wonderful relationship. Great advice. Uh, where can people find you online, Eddie, if they have other questions or want to find other more information? Oh, they could uh, send me an email if they have any questions. And the email's easy to remember. It's my name. It's Edward, E-D-W-A-R-D, at Edward, E-D-W, oh my God, I almost spelled my name, <laughs> E-D-W-A-R-D, and then last name, L-E-I-G-H. So it's Edward at Edward, L-E-I-G-H dot com. Edward at edwardlee.com. Wonderful. Right. Well, Eddie, thank you again for this very helpful information. Uh, appreciate all that you have, uh, the helpful information you've provided us. And thank you for uh, working hard to make a difference in the medical community so that patients like us uh, get even better uh, treatment and service. It's been my pleasure. You have a good evening. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast, and thank you to our sponsor, H2ORS. The Colon Cancer Podcast is a proud sponsor of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www.ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at the colon cancer Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.